We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Knicks fans, how you doing? It is once again, not your boy, Jonathan Macri with another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Instead, it is a nothing but Knicks reunion. I'm your host, Andrew Claudio, and joining me in an oldie but a goodie, uh, Mr. Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, long time no like this speak, sir. How are you doing? I'm great. I know it's it's. Wonderful. The nostalgia for me mm. comes rushing back. We get to do our thing again for one week, one week only. It's beautiful. <laughs> so but. should we clarify nothing but Nick's for people who don't know that we used to have a podcast called nothing but Nick's and that started before the before Sim and the YouTube channel. Nothing but Nick's. Yeah, I think, I think, I think might, I just might help to clarify right? a little <laughs> okay. bit. Yes. So all I'll say, because Sim is the homie and does a really good job over at that channel. It's also nothing but Knicks was different than ours because we were nothing but Knicks. Um, and like, Tim, anytime you want to collaborate, like hit me up in the DMs, like I'm all for it. Well, I'm speaking on behalf of John, but he's all for it. Trust me. Um, all I'll say is to anybody that said, like, don't you know that you're biting off the YouTube channel and Sim is like already has this. All I'll say is the very first episode of nothing but Knicks came out the week the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 which is before Sim released his first video. And I know this even more like entrenched in my memory because the following week was the day of the 2016 election that the episode came out. And I don't want to make this political, but you could argue that I, I started a Knicks podcast and the world went a certain direction. So, you know, I, obviously things changed. Jeremy and I linked up in 2018 right after Porzingis uh, tore his ACL. Uh, and then we met one Jonathan Macri and the rest is history. And needless to say, as much as I love producing your voice and your face and uh, your PowerPoints, it's good to actually be able to have a conversation with you again, Jeremy. I've missed this. I know, me too. And I thought at first you're going to be like, well, the receipts actually show that when the Cubs <laughs> won the World Series in 1908, that's when we started the pod. Uh, we were there when the Billy Goat was 
introduced and throw the heartbreak years later, Steve Bartman, all that, that it went so in a different this direction. This is went- how John feels when you make him. Fe- I forgot. You also make both of us feel like we're a 45,000 years older than we actually are. I, I forgot being in this chair, what that does. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's just, it's just the way it goes. You yeah. enter the cage, you got to fight. Unbelievable. Don't worry. Now. Eventually we'll do a podcast in an election during an election year that you're allowed to vote in, Jeremy. When That's you're true. Old to vote in. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I mean, by that context, then I have I avoid all consequences. There you go. From what I like, I have no responsibility in, in how I like voted. Not my uh, fault. What happened? Exactly. I'm, I'm six years old. I can't. <laughs> so little banter at the top of the show, because obviously there's not much Nick's to talk about. We are going to introduce a brand new game show that's going to take place over the next four or five weeks. Uh, and when I say introduce, the full game will not happen this week because John has to come back and play against Jeremy. But I amended the rules for this episode so Jeremy can participate and play. And we'll see how well he knows the Knicks. More on that coming soon. But we did have some news that happened this week. Um, I think we'll start with Julius Randle. His contract extension was officially announced. Do you have, do you know the details officially? There's like 10 million in bonuses, right? Yeah, it's uh, I mean, a lot of them are likely or they're considered likely. I know Keith talked about this as opposed to unlikely bonuses that are in Nerland's Noel's contract. Yes, indeed. So, you know, Randall's probably going to get paid a little over twenty six million dollars. Not this upcoming season, but the first year of his contract. So the 2022-2023 season, um, which is great. You know, I mean, if he even plays like an all star, that's still a tremendous deal. A little bit lower than that. That's still mm-hmm. a very fair, fine deal. So uh, awesome value. Hope he maintains what he's able to do uh, and, and, you know, leads to more great pieces around him. Bingo. And like obviously he made at the press conference on Zoom, which our, our boy John Macri was there for. Um, he made a big deal out of like wanting to take less because he trusts the organization and trust the people around him to to add to this team. So here's the question I have. And it it's an angle on this that I didn't think we were going to have to talk about today. But I saw a take on Twitter.com. Like I've, I've cut back on my Twitter usage, especially now that I've got like two shows that I'm responsible for. And I'm trying to, you know, be a little more uh, particular in what takes I actually pay attention to. But I don't even remember the guy's name, but he pinned this as a this is why I'll always be a Julius guy over a mellow guy. And I I, I feel like we have to have a small conversation about like this was Randall's chance to cash in as opposed to mellow who was going to get like you're asking him not to get a market level contract for a max player at the time. I just. I'll ask you first, because I know how you feel. I think I know how you feel from the years of us talking about this, this basketball player. Am I like too attached to Mello that that actually is a fair argument or because I guess the take is that Mello shouldn't have taken the max and taken a less contract in 2014. So that way the Knicks could squander that extra cap space, unlike the cap space that was available to them over the next couple of years. Like, where are you on that? So I'm typically pro player. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you can get a max contract, go for it. Right. Like 
you, it, it, there's only so many great players. And sure, there are not as good players or not good players who are getting max deals and maybe they're not worth it. And they probably aren't. But, you know, it's the sort of thing where at the time I wanted Melo to take a discount. Sure. I also recognize that he had every right to not do that. Um, the thing with Melo that made it so interesting as well is, I mean, there was the conversation of, is Melo going to stay with the Knicks or is he going to go to a place like Chicago? Mm-hmm. The difference between the Knicks max offer and the Bulls max offer was $50 million. So it was always like, you know, are you really going to pass up that much money? Was it really 50 or was it? it was, I thought it was 496 for Chicago. Um, I think it was 50 because there were 8% raises and the fifth year that oh, Mello was eligible the, because okay. the Knicks had his bird rights from when they traded for him. Well, so, I, you know, okay. that's why there was a, a, the discrepancy. And so, you know, even in the sign and trade, you're still getting a four-year contract, not a five-year. Mm-hmm. You're still getting those 5% raises. So the Knicks had something to play with. At the end of the day, it was like, are you really going to walk away from all of that money just to to play for a contender in Chicago? Or are you willing to like, you know, sign for still a lot more than you would get there in New York, where you were traded to, where you're from, um, and take a slight discount? And I think he took a slight discount in year two. And that led to like a, a $7 million or so um, savings for the Knicks. But the Knicks didn't exactly build around him properly. And so that's the other thing. The timing as well, like, Let's see. Mello got his deal. I want to say he was what, like 29, 30 when he resigned the contract? His first contract, he was, so he was 26 when he got traded, I mm-hmm. think, to the Knicks. So then it would have been 2011, 12, 13. He would have been 29 turning 30, if not already turned 30. Right. And Randall, you know, is still a contract behind. So if anything, it's, it's such a great thing that Randall was willing to make this concession because he could have, you know, hit the market. Look at what the market is next year, right? The market right now is it's Beal, Levine, it could have been Randall, and then it's like Aaron Gordon, TJ Warren, Joe Ingles. It's it's super steep of a drop off, and I'm sure that of any of the teams that have cap space, they would try to make something work. Where it's like, hey, Julius, we're comfortable giving you a max contract because you were an All NBA player the year before, and even if something happens next year, that's some that's a, a, an upside bet. You do it, and then the Knicks would have had to have been forced to counter and and do the same thing. But they didn't. He sacrificed. So I actually saw you tweeting this and I had the same thought. Mm -hmm. It's very possible to look at the two situations and not have to compare the two. You don't have to be like, oh, Julius Randle's comfortable here and that makes Melo look worse. Um, It could just be like Julius Randle wanted to sign this deal. Melo signed that deal. He did take a discount. He didn't have to. He did. Um, But I don't blame him for for taking as much money as he did. And it's also why I never really thought he was going to leave the Knicks. Um, Randall, I still don't think that was the case. It was really always just a question about how you build around them. So I pulled up on spot track. Shout out to our friend, Keith Smith. Um, well, okay. Before I get into this, let me just ask this first. The initial contract that he signed, the extension he signed in 2011, the day of the trade, was an older CBA. And then the new CBA that... I mean, was formed after the lockout, which happened three months after the said mellow trade, which we'll talk about in a second. Like it changed everything. And 
made more of an emphasis on player empowerment, which you've seen throughout this last decade is guys cashing in like LeBron signing for four years, 160 Chris Paul getting as much money as he can. Cause like collectively you owe it to your union to get as much as possible. You just started a new job. What sense does it make for you to go in negotiations with, Hey, don't give me too much because I'd like for us to have like additional people to help our job be successful. No, like you owe it to your union to try and get as much as possible. So that way the next, like, I obviously don't know if you have a union or not, but the principle in general is like when you're part of a union, the contract you get affects everybody else in it. So taking a discount could actually be more harmful. Is that a fair assessment of this? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not part of a union. Right, uh, but the principal, I actually, you get it. Yes, I do. And I'm actually paying my company to work for them. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, you, yeah. you took the opposite of a pay cut. I okay. did. Well, I mean, you know, it happened. But we'll take we care of you. Don't worry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah just, uh, subscribe to Patreon so yes. you, I can, I <laughs> so can eat charity. and pay my rent. Um, yeah, you know, I think the other thing as well is that, and it also does depend on the situation, because if a team goes over the salary cap, then it's not like taking money away from other players, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of what an example might be here. Um, okay. How about this, right? Like this summer, the Knicks signed all their guys and then went over the cap to re-sign Derrick Rose. Mm -hmm. Imagine if they signed Derrick Rose for $10 million, right? And he, he decided to come back. The Knicks are still shortchanging him a little over three and a three million dollars. Um, but that money wouldn't have gone to someone else because it's like the team's already over the cap, if that makes sense. Whereas in a different situation where it's like, okay, the reason why we're making a concession is because of this reason, not we're going to shortchange you because we don't feel like paying you. But uh, with Randall, again, as I've explained before, I think that the Knicks are going to hard cap themselves in some way next year mm. once again. And it's going to matter more because they're going to have more money on the books especially with Mitchell Robinson, assuming he stays or if they get someone else, whatever it is, they're going to get closer to the tax apron. So that was why it was like, yes, the union, it's important. But a reason why Randall had to do it was they probably explained the plan, how he would fit in with all of this, and then say, this is why we need you to not take that max contract because this is what we're doing. Um, then we can also show that we are all on the same page. You want to stay here. You want to finish your career here all of that jazz. So I think the union does play a part in it, but it's not like, you know, I don't think it's going to set a precedent where, you know, if anything, the, I feel like it goes the opposite direction. Um, maybe, maybe it goes the opposite. I guess that what, what I'm trying to say here is that we've seen so much player empowerment going in mm -hmm. the opposite direction of signing a piece of paper and just treating the contract like, cool, I got my money when I want to leave I can just leave. You know, usually it's two years of guaranteed team control, uh, at least, or I guess at that point where it starts to go off. But at the point being with Randall, it's just like it's very different now because Randall's saying, no, 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 I feel empowered because I want to be with the team. I could leave, but I have a lot of money. I'm earning a lot. I, I want to stay here. I want to bring other guys here. So, I get the union perspective of it, but I think it mm -hmm. also can benefit the other thing of giving players a kind of like a good reputation because we always, I say we, I, I don't mean me personally or you, but just I kind of like as fans, we, we 
like praise players who are loyal and then we criticize them for not leaving Bradley Beal in particular. Yeah. Why haven't you asked out yet? Yeah. Right. Like how can you stay in that order? And I get it. You know, if I were in a bad situation, then I would probably want to go too. But for a lot of these guys, they see the money. They feel like things are trending in the right direction. You see a contract in front of you. You just, you sign it because it's good. Mm -hmm. And Randall didn't do that. And I think that's pretty awesome. And then there's the, so there's two things about this that I found one confusing and one just fascinating. One is like the difference in what Carmelo Anthony was entering free agency 2014 and what Julius Randle was entering this. Like this really was his first legitimate chance to cash out. You've mentioned before minutes into his rookie season, he breaks his leg, misses the rest of the year. His Lakers experience went so poorly that like he had his rights rescinded so they could sign LeBron James has one season with Anthony Davis that like he hated. And as a result, like Anthony Davis uh, midway through the season decides I'm playing every quarter, but the fourth quarter and as a minutes restriction and then is allowed to walk after they make the Anthony Davis trade because they signed Zion has a season in New York that he's just the not Kevin Durant reward. Because whether we want to say that like we were fine with the Knicks passing on Durant or Kevin Durant chose to go elsewhere and it has nothing to do with the Porzingis trade. Like I understand the argument. I got to think the majority opinion, whether it be for how Randall experienced that first season in New York was way more like this sucks. And it was that Woj interview where he was like sat down with Leon Rose, sat down with, World Worldwide West and sat down with Kenny Payne and was like, like, I am miserable here and I'm signed for the next two years. Figure something out. And what they did was decide to take over the team, which is, you know, unprecedented. All of that to then having one legitimately productive season and seeing the opportunity for some stability in his life is not equal to six time all star Carmelo Anthony with the chance to cash in on a contract he's earned at that point in his career. It's then up to the Knicks, who are not the only team with a max player on it, then forced to go around the league to convince another max player. How about you don't trade for Andrea Bargnani? How about you don't sign uh, Joe Kim Noah to four years, 72? How about you don't sign Courtney Lee to four for 56? Which, in hindsight, actually wasn't a terrible contract, but I digress. Um, How about you don't trade for, like, make the team make more sense? How about you don't hire Derek Fisher and then do nothing? to improve the team because he's never actually the coach. He's Phil's voice man, like a baseball manager, like so much other else went wrong about the Knicks and their team building. And you wanted Melo to take a discount for that team. So there's that. And then it's just like the polarization of Carmelo Anthony as the player. And we don't have to spend too much time on this. We've already spent more than I expect. It's like we went back in time to have an argument we had back in the nothing but Knicks days. But I think there is just a faction of Knicks fans, Knicks Twitter, Knicks Nation that will just never like that this guy forced his way here. And I'm back and forth on it. This alternate history that Schwinn and Knicks SI are doing, I think have laid out the alternate version of what could have happened if Melo didn't try to force his way here. And the Knicks, after striking out on this heralded summer of 2010, then struck out again and Melo went to New Jersey, then becoming Brooklyn. 
I think they laid out what could have happened. And then in part two, what had no chance of happening, but it would have been really cool if it happened. Um, I just like the, the guy will never not be a lightning rod because of the result of what happened and not of the opportunity that was presented when he got here and how the Knicks fumbled the bag with their mismanagement after. That's my take on that. I don't know how much you you can react or add on to however much you'd like, Jeremy. Well, I thought, yeah, Schwinn and Conrad, it was a really fun piece that they, mm-hmm. the idea of bringing that to life. And I, I think that at least with, um, yes, with Mello, I always feel it was like Mello screwed over the Knicks and the Knicks screwed over Mello. And there's a lot of finger pointing. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because everyone was worse off for it. For mm-hmm. me, the bigger thing, I think, with Mello was the no trade clause. And he had every right to earn that, right? But it's just like that is a lot of power to give to someone where he was. Wasn't he coming off of his knee surgery? No, because he got the knee after. surgery during the first year of the contract. That's right. So yeah. like, that's why they ended up tanking, which led to Borzengis. But right, that right. no trade clause is a good point. However, like the Knicks offered it to him and he like signed it like he's not that's not up. It's up to the Knicks to not offer it to him. Yeah, I think I recall something about the Knicks offering Mello like multiple packages Mm -hmm. and he wound up being like, cool, I'll take the small discount, but I want the no trade clause and I want the early termination option for the fifth year. Um, So, yeah, can you blame him? Because then. Like they can, the Knicks could have done what the Clip, the Clippers did to Blake Griffin or what the Raptors did to DeMar DeRozan. Like then you are not in control of where you're you're signing that contract for, you know? Absolutely. So I'm happy it's all over is the yes. bottom line. I'm glad that we're we're talking about this in hindsight where it's like, okay, cool. It's like it's a thing a, that, a positive time going yeah, on right now. But yeah. Um yeah. This is genuinely a thing that Knicks fans will never because it's we've all gone to our corners and established how we feel on it, which is why I was able to psychoanalyze where that take came from. Like now we got Julius and he never did what Mello did, except Julius did get the max. Like if Julius signed for four and 90, then you're like, wow, he's taking a discount because he believes in the franchise. That's one thing. What Julius did was at the first chance in his basketball career to have stability. He took it and it's with an front office that is significantly more competent than the one that Mello was resigning for. That is my take on the matter. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, okay. So the next thing, and I think we've, you and John have addressed this in depth. I mean, you and Keith Smith, even there's a breakaway clip. If you want to look at this, um, the Knicks are interested in extending Mitchell Robinson. Mark Berman reported in the area of four for 44, um, you and Keith Smith, uh, laid out in the breakaway clip that, uh, uh, that's really what you're looking at. If Mitch gets the extension, it's 10 million a year, maybe a little more, um, I just, the only thing I'll say on this, and again, Nick's news, we're just looking for something to talk about. Uh, what's going to happen with Mr. Robinson, Jeremy, you're smart. You know, the future, it seems what, what's going to happen with this. I really don't have any idea just based on the fact that for Mitch, I could see why he'd lock into really great long-term money, life-changing money, uh, versus being like, you know what? I'm just going to bet on myself because I feel like based on the tools that I have, that I'm growing, that there is a team that, you know, last off season was the first off season and first season with Kenny uh, Payne and mm-hmm. the, the coaches this year. It's, you know, a little bit different. So I could see why he'd be like, no, I'm just going to take a chance on myself. I do find it really fascinating that this report is coming out though, because this kind of shifts the focus and kind of pressure onto Mitch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we, I mean, we can talk about the fact that one can be of the mind that Mitch deserves more money than the offer that we're seeing or the max offer he's able to get before the 2022 free agency starts. But it's also kind of fascinating to me that it's like, this is the number mm-hmm. of years, the amount of years, this is the amount of money uh, we're considering offering it. If Mitch doesn't take it, then it's the sort of thing where it's like the Knicks can turn around and say, well, we offered a contract. We couldn't agree to it. And then we were nervous because of this reason or that reason. They could talk about injury. They could talk about his unrestricted rights and how he can walk uh, anywhere. And all these different things. But I don't know. Part of it just kind of was eyebrow raise worthy for me because it's just like interesting. The Knicks are now willing to play ball when they could have offered him this exact type of contract this year. And it wouldn't really have made much of a difference. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Do you think most Nick fans want him back? I do. Okay. Yeah. I think most Nick Nick fans do want him back because, Not, well, particularly to extent, like that. Yeah. Basically, the injuries aside, the upside of him having one season where he puts it all together changes his team drastically. It does. I mean, again, he is a phenomenal defender, both mm-hmm. at the rim 
on the perimeter, switching, pick and roll. Um, he's even on the offensive side. You know, I, what Keith basically said, how I feel about five out offenses too, mm-hmm. where the idea of a five out offense is so better than five out in reality. If you look at kind of the top 100 lineups and sort them by net rating, um, the best ones, and by top 100, I mean in terms of minutes played, the best ones are going to be four out, one in. Mm-hmm. Guys who, like, you need someone to rebound. Um, and the better minutes out there were, it was like Jokic, who, hello, MVP. That's um, the, not to interrupt, but they, that's the cap, the the thing that people miss with the their campaign for five out offenses is like the ones that work have like Steph Curry or LeBron James or Luca. Like they have the, a generational player. That's but the I'm thing. Saying, like, like when LeBron and the Cavs used to go five out. hundred percent. Like it was, you needed to have every single person on the floor be a good shooter and a generational top 15 ever player on the floor. Right. And the Mavs, I mean, yes, they are the perfect example of a five out offense, but it is kind of funny to me that people will rave about the idea of a five out offense, but then instantly go to attacking Porzingis for his flaws. Because Mm -hmm. again, if you look at the Mavs, I think they were 21st in defense last year. That was the concession. They had Mm -hmm. five out. And on the other end, it was really ugly. And that's a big problem for them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and that's the thing with Denver. They are surprisingly a great defense. I think they were 11th or so in defensive rating last season. Um, They've held their own as a unit, but you know, I mean, they're still able to do it because they have the reigning NBA MVP and you know, the, the great, one of the greatest passing big men of all time, that type of player doesn't just grow on trees. So basically you're swapping out. I mean, it's what Obi in this case, let's say mm-hmm. it's Obi and Randall. Sure. If you can find minutes there, that's fine. But clearly the Knicks have felt uncomfortable doing that. So they've liked a more balanced approach. They've clearly tried to do four out, one in, and hopefully Mitch can be that guy. But I think that Mitch extended is more valuable than Mitch on his own right now, uh, even for more money moving forward, just based on the fact that you have that team control. You've locked him down. If you want to keep him, great. If you want to get rid of him, fine. I understand why fans maybe don't love Mitch, not even from the the shooting perspective, but Mm -hmm. like, listen, if you're saying, oh, this player worked him for one or two games, like, okay, cool. I'm I'm going a a different route with that. It's the expendability of centers that some Knicks fans have gone through. Like I, I did a lot of editing for Patreon this week and I went through our mailbag and the amount of can Jericho Sims be make Mitch expendable. It's like, I I am not having this convert like the 58th pick in the draft is going to make Mitchell Robinson expendable. Although the principle, I get that centers are a dime a dozen unless their names are Nikola Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid or Hakeem Olajuwon or that echelon type of player. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't have much more to add on Mitch. I just, I would like to, if that's the contract, I'd like to see him extend and then, you know, we'll see what happens with, Maybe the five out offense is Mitch finally being allowed to shoot threes, Jeremy. Five, like maybe that's I don't I don't want to see off. Mitch shoot threes. <laughs> Me neither. That's, that's like, the best part. <laughs> in fact, that's the other thing. Again, if we're if we're talking about replacements, like any guy they bring in, if they want to shoot some threes, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to see like again the idea of a Miles Turner like player. I don't want to see him taking four threes a game. 
that's not what I want. I want someone like him to play around the rim and collect boards and do the dirty work. Uh, if he can take like, yes, I would like Mitch to shoot, but it's also like, what is a, what's worse, Mitch not shooting or Mitch shooting and it just doesn't go in. Yeah. Because if we know that players aren't defending him around the perimeter because he won't shoot, like, isn't that pretty much the same thing's going to happen if he can't shoot? Like, what defense is going to be like, oh my God, we have to guard Mitch as he's spotting up in the corner for a three or, or above the break. They're not going to do that. They're going to be like, cool. If he can hit it, then we just have to live with that. But otherwise, we're going to defend him as if he's a just a non-shooter anyway. So, like, just just have him emphasize the strengths that he already has and and use the areas of development to be better, ideally not the ones that involve shooting. Yeah, I can't... I can't even think of like the scenario where a Mitchell Robinson like called play where he shoots a three is a good like broken play. He has to chuck one up fine up by 40 and you're just like nobody gets hurt. And first of all, why is Mitch playing up 40? Oh, because Tom Thibodeau's his coach. That's why <laughs> Um, fine. like maybe. But there are so many good shooters on this team that a Mitchell Robinson called three is just a bad play anyway. So speaking of centers. Um, Netherlands Noel's trying to sue Rich Paul. So how much of this have you checked out? Have you, do you know about that? He's trying to sue Rich Paul claiming loss of wages. Yeah. And Rich Paul basically was unavailable for several times for opportunities where Netherlands Noel could have gotten paid more. Uh-huh. And, uh, he just didn't pick up the phone and yeah. kind of, I think something similar happened with Marcus Morris two is what it's being speculated with the whole Spurs thing when he was going to sign the Spurs. And it's and why then, he, it's why he left to right, go to the and Knicks. He found yeah. out there was an offer and he did. And then I think shortly after he fired Rich Paul. Oh, okay. so ah, precedent. Okay. That's uh, my understanding of it from the little bit that I've read outside of that article, but it's fascinating. And I mean, how, if this is indeed true and mm-hmm. this has happened multiple times, I don't, know how you can stay an agent in the sense of like look at your other clients yeah if you're not trying i'm talking about the union right how we're yeah, saying yeah. if you're saying to someone like nerland's noel it's like oh hey you know i'm just not going to pick up the phone even though there's a great offer on the other line for even more incredible money i mean nerland's noel is making under nine million dollars this year and that's the most money in a season he's ever made mm. i mean you talk about Back when he was offered that, I think it was like four years and seventy-two million. That's what it was. It was a Tim Hardaway Jr. contract, right? Yeah, and he doesn't get that. And I think I saw that it started because Rich Paul wanted to collect commission of two hundred thousand dollars on Nerlens Noel's contract last year with the Knicks, and he didn't. And then Noel basically was like, "Cool, so uh, I'm actually going to counter." sue you in some way or i don't know if if rich paul tried to sue him uh and that's and asked for the amount or or what but he was like okay if that's really how you want to play it i lost a lot of money and i applaud Nolan's noel for doing this it's a huge fight uh it takes a lot of cojones Hmm. or, or strong cojones to sue one of the most powerful agents and agencies and it just kind of feels like from the outside looking in with really no knowledge on any of this but but from what we're gathering it's like so many of these athletes want to, they look at LeBron and the influence and power and all that, and they're sucked into it. Mm-hmm. So it was so surprising to see someone like Zach Levine sign 
with Clutch, even after this came out, although I'm sure the agreements and everything were beforehand, but for all of that, and it's like, well, Zach, why are you, why are you switching over to Clutch? Because yeah. if you want to, like, he's not going to resign until the next offseason anyway, because of the money and how it works out with the max contract. But it's, I know there are other things involved in the agency world that aren't just science next contract. They're endorsements and a host of other things, but um, it just seems like for the, if you're a, an elite player and you sign with clutch, you're golden. If you are at least one or multiple tiers below, you're just hoping that you can kind of like catch that. It's like trickle down economics almost mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And uh, it didn't work for Noel. And now he's mad. Well, so so there's two parts of this I thought affect the Knicks. And one of it is like former clutch client, Mr. Robinson. And who knows what conversations he's had with Nerland's Noel. Um, like there's just that aspect of any world where Noel has a case. And we were talking about this yesterday on green room. Cause Mr. Macri is a former attorney at law and like the world the evidence he would need to prove intention on Rich Paul's side, I don't, or at least he doesn't see how that happens. Like, Noel might have a case if there's enough breadcrumbs to create, like, just the actual taking him to court. Actually winning is a harder hurdle that he's going to have to get over, which, you know, at next season, when we do Nick's law school, we'll break down all of the legal issues in the NBA world. The I'll other leave part, that to John. Yes, please. <laughs> I don't know like the PowerPoints we're going to do next summer. Jesus. Um, the other part that's fascinating to me is like potential clutch clients. If the Knicks have a client that's suing the most powerful agent in the NBA, it makes me leery of them now being a suitor for Zach Levine next summer. If like Noel's trying to sue Paul and then the Knicks are trying to acquire Zach Levine, you know, like the idea of player empowerment still exists and it went through rich Paul, all of LeBron's juice. And that's why it's hard to say he's not the most powerful agent in the sport right now. You know, I don't know if that, how much that matters. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, the Knicks aren't the ones suing rich Paul. But it's, if it's the Knicks Noel. have a client that is suing Rich Paul, sure, I get, I understand you know? the, the issue and why that can be complicated. But yeah. at the end of the day, as well, if they're basically saying like, "Hey, here's what's going on. Here's how we can build around you," I don't think Zach Levine is going to feel like I know there's something going on between Nerlens Noel and Rich Paul, or assuming it's ended by that point. So, like, I'm going to side with my agent here, and I'm not going to do that whatsoever. I'm not going to sign not. with the Knicks yeah. because of, right. Like I just don't see that necessarily being the case, but I can understand why Rich Paul might talk poorly about the Knicks being like, Oh, I can't believe that. Like you don't want to be there for X, Y, Z reason or whatever. So at the end of the day, Zach Levine, like, I think he's probably going to stay just based on the fact that he's the same age as Randall pretty much, mm-hmm. maybe a couple months younger. And he, like, you know, you don't see him signing a similar contract because his, as a clarification, his max is similar to Randall's in that he can only sign for a certain percentage. He can't get that full max contract and that's why he's waiting. Randall took the opposite approach. I'm not going to criticize Zach Levine for not taking that contract, like we were saying with Melo and whatnot, but 
it is interesting to see Randall's like, I'm here, I'm committed, let's do this. And Levine basically being like, no, I'm going to wait and then I'm going to get all the money I can and then we'll figure it out from there. I will say, seeing this and any any thoughts of pissing off Rich Paul being a bad thing uh, were less of a worry to me with Embiid signing long-term because now like him being off the table anyway made it like, all right, like I hope Noel wins or the justice is served in some way. I just, in the back of my mind, was like, so this goes back to my baseball pair. Well, I, I really don't want to talk about my baseball team. Maybe at the end we might, but I, please stop booing us. You're professionals. Oh my God, just do your job. We won't boo you. <laughs> anyway, um, the idea of pissing off Boris was always the thing you didn't want to do because of how much power he had in baseball and like the Mets notoriously like pissed Boris off in 2000 and A-Rod wanted to go there and they lowballed him. Boris was like, fine, I'm just going to go get the most competitive offer from my client. $252 million later, A-Rod, the rest is history. Um, and I just, I don't know. I thought about whether this affects free agency at all. And I don't think it is in, well, in, in a way that is, like detrimental to however I would feel about Erlen's Noel. Sure. I mean, I'm actually, I just want to read out who the highest paid clutch clients are, right? So uh, this is for this upcoming season. John Wall, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, Gary Trent Jr., DeJounte Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Terrence Ross, Jordan Clarkson, Yusuf Nurkic. And I could keep going, but that's like everyone is making above $10 million. And so the question is this, who, and I, I mean, you could throw Zach Levine in there. This is just not updated. And maybe some of these names left regardless. How many of these guys are the Knicks really going to be like, oh, we, we need to sign him. We need to right. trade for him. We need to do this. It's a pretty shallow list. Um, I mean, for the younger guys too, I mean, they're not trading for Darius Garland or Miles Bridges or Cam Reddish Lonnie Walker, they could have traded up for Moses Moody and taken him. They didn't. Um, so that's the thing. I mean, it's like the, the interesting thing is it seems it says that Jericho Sims is here. So it's ah, not like okay. it's not like they, you know, have no clutch clients whatsoever. But it's it's just the sort of thing where it's like I, it's never good to piss off an agency, but you can kind of get away with it when the clientele or the clients that they have. They're not really worth acquiring or won't be acquired anyway. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're team no Nerlens here. We're team Noel here at Nick's film school. Also perk go away. I like the, the back and forth you have with Noel on Twitter yesterday where I, I just clearly standing for his client and the person that's gotten him to be a relevant voice on first take a show that has only gone down in ratings since he's become a relevant voice. I can I just be real. Like, we're, we're done with news. Ron Baker retired, and then the Knicks preseason starts on October 5th. We'll get to the game show in a second. Those That's the only real... Did you have a Ron Baker comment, Jeremy, before we move on? Um, it's just kind of funny to see him working in healthcare sort of thing. We're, I, just in the sense... Not, not for a reason. It's also because I'm kind of working in healthcare as well, so that's why oh, I'm saying, okay. like, oh, Ron Baker and I are starting jobs. The time. Ah, so I am Ron Baker. Thing, he but. is me. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. Um. But it was just like, cool. I mean, the guy whose career has completely stalled to the point where he's just not even really seeing minutes in mm -hmm. Moscow. Yeah, I'm not 
surprised. Hey, he made some great money. I mean, he got what? Two years, $9 million and a uh, player player option, option, which came with a de facto, no trade clause. (laughs) I mean, that's to be able to, you know, like start a job and be like, Hey, what did you do before this? Oh, you know, before this, I just like made millions of dollars. I tricked Phil Jackson giving me a player option or was that technically Steve? No, it was Steve Mills. Tricked uh, even better. Tricked Steve Mills giving me a player option. It's just sad. Yeah. I trust him with my surgery. (laughs) There you go. Um, uh, Once a Nick, always a Nick Ron Baker. I'll be there for the Jersey retirement. Although he was number nine, right? Um, no, I don't think you know, it's actually better if we don't know Ron Baker's number. It's more legendary to his to his legacy, I guess, that we don't know his number. Um, you can look it up if you'd like. Anyway, Kendrick Perkins. Do you want me to do you want me to tell you what his number is? Was it five? No, it was 31. Oh, wow. I was way off. Mike Piazza was his number. Wow. I don't know the Knicks. That's actually Ron Baker's number now. Is it really? Formerly Mike Piazza. Well, formerly. Oh, excuse me. Formerly Mike Piazza. It is now Ron Baker's. Retire that at City Field. Just no booing, please. Um, okay. The Perkins thing. Like, when A-Rod got in the Sunday night booth, like, I didn't really get it why people were like, I want to listen to A-Rod for nine innings. I thought he was better in short bites, but I understood, like, the cachet that A-Rod has. And there are some intelligent things that, like, his perspective of the game Fine. Like Reggie Miller, we give him so much crap for his exclamations, I think, during basketball games that they're annoying. And like there's some Knicks uh, baggage there, too, because I just don't want to hear Reggie Miller when I'm watching a game. But like I actually do think he does a decent job as in his analysis. Honestly, the same thing for Chris Webber. We just always call it the clips because he was doing the late games that caught him saying something stupid over the course of a full 82 game schedule where he's doing two games a week. I've never understood the perk thing. I've just never understood why he's like a prominent voice in NBA TV media. I like make it make sense, Jeremy. I can't, you got nothing. I really can't. And you're the one that makes sense out of everything on the show. (laughs) I got carry the hell on. Like that's, that's, it's just like, it's the end of all his tweets. Like this is yep. 2007 and we have signatures on our texts again. You know, yep. it's, it reminds me of it's first like, that's it. That's the tweet kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just like, you don't, you don't have to end it with that dude. You could, you could just anyways. Um, I don't understand it. I feel like they just tried to find, I don't know. So part of it is because I think it's relationship focused where, it's like, hey, Kendrick Perkins and like like what we're seeing with Clutch and how there are these ties. But that I don't get it. I mean, they, they brought him on to like, that's the thing. If you want to talk about LeBron and you ESPN tries to market these stars or, or basically use their stars to market themselves. And why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't a network try to profit off of the game's best players? Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, it's like, well. Like they're just talking heads. It's the content that's so empty. The draft was held on two different channels. I watched it on ABC, <laughs> not ESPN, because Kendrick Perkins was making comments or, or player comparisons about players who like have nothing to do with whatsoever yeah. with each other whatsoever. And it's just like, okay, well, why am I listening to this guy who 
clearly knows less about the draft than I do. And I spent very little time on the draft because it's a crapshoot. And I just like, it's fun. It's also fun to be surprised on these things. So that was a part of a reason for like how we can go through with this. And it's like, they keep trotting him out. And I think it's because of the social media presence. Uh, I even that's that not good though. Like it's just, it's the not same that's the lukewarm take carry the hell on. It's like, I agree. But for some reason, they're trying to captivate that type of audience. And mm. it's a shame because like, you know, I, the situation with Rachel Nichols, we don't have to, the show yeah. itself. No, <laughs> all I'm saying is the show is a success. Mm-hmm. Having an NBA show in the afternoon run for five years, no matter who's hosting, like the concept of it was successful, but you had a, a problematic host and you have guests, many of whom are just lacking. And I feel like, you know, like they're the Tracy McGrady's of the world who they come onto the show mm-hmm. and they can do a great job of breaking things down and, and are engaging. And then you have like Kendrick Perkins. And it's just like, why? I understand you're a former player, but there are a lot of former NBA players and a lot of them who probably have better presentation skills or at least come from a place like where a guard, like someone who can right. score, you know? Exactly. And, and it's just like, it's disappointing when you have someone who's vapid. He doesn't have great mm. takes. He just has takes. And it's very frustrating. Very. And that's why I just like, I don't really watch ESPN very much anymore. Which, um, A, because I'm you know, much It's our benefit. Because, it's our benefit, by the way. Yeah. Right. If I had the time to do it, it's just like, why am I wasting time listening to people? Like, why can't you have Tim Legler? For example, who's Zach Lowe? They squeeze yeah. him into yeah. the late night times, or even just the former players who are there. Like, I don't love Richard Jefferson, but I think he can make decent points sometimes. Yeah. Better so than Kendrick Perkins. But, you know, he, everyone's biased in some way because Richard Jefferson also played with LeBron mm-hmm. and they're close. I love Channing Fry. I think he's a fantastic commentator. I'd love to see him being worked more into that type of setting. So, you know, it, it's not like it's, it's not like they can't find good former players to speak. And yet they have Kendrick Perkins because of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made it made sense. It's a clutch thing. LeBron's friends got to be on TV. That's, that's, that's the tweet. Carry the hell on control. And, and I think there's yeah. another way where it's like, if you're able to control the media in, in some ways, control the can, narrative. Hey, exactly. Jeffrey Bezos. Anyway, um, <laughs> I've, but I have a, before we get to the game, I have a very unpopular opinion about Rachel Nichols's show ending. Not that I don't like what happened to her show. Like, fine. Just as somebody who works behind the scenes of a show, like there are a lot of people that are going to lose their jobs because of that. And it's where like, the unintended collateral damage of a decision like this, when we think like, Oh, the person that used to hate on the Knicks lost their job. We win like dozens of lives were affected by that decision. And it's like the empathy I have. Like, I hope whoever they replace that show with every single person just remains in place. But usually what happens is a new staff is brought in and new trust has to be earned. And that's where, you know, I, I just I'm able to empathize and in this very tough industry that I've tried to navigate. And uh, yeah, that's my my piece of empathy. However, if you did dance on the grave of one Rachel Nichols this week, I'm not going to tell you not to I'm just understand that there are a lot of graves built 
Doug that night. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, you ready to play this new game, Jeremy? Let's do it. This is how we'll wrap up. The game is called I Know the Knicks. Now, there's going to be more categories when John gets back, and we'll see how you do against John in the future. But basically, there's two categories here. The 2021 season and then the post-decision. Now, you're going to get to do both if you'd like to. John, you know, you'll like to. I just I know you. You'll like this game. Um, and basically, it's going to be a list of things that you're going to have to name as many as you can on said list. And based off of your percentage in each list, we'll see how well you know the Knicks, Jeremy. OK, you get normally you'd get no strikes in the the regular game, it's basically going so you can't list anymore. And then if you're out, the other person can keep listing until they're done. Uh, in this mm-hmm. case, I'll give you one strike. OK, so you get basically you get one miss. You get a mulligan. And then after your second miss, you're out. OK, um, sure. so you want to do the 2021 first or post decision first? Let's do 2021 first. 2021 first. OK, most recent season. Knicks went 41 and 31. One of the more special seasons in Knicks history. So, Jeremy, of the 13 players that did so, can you name how many all the Knicks that scored 100 points at least last season? At least 100 points. Okay. At least 100 um, points. How, how many of the 13 Knicks that scored 100 points last year can you name? Sure. Uh, Julius Randle. Correct. RJ Barrett. Correct. Reggie Bullock. Correct. Alfred Payton. Mitchell Correct. Robinson. Correct. Jones Noel. Correct. Uh, Taj Gibson. Correct. Uh, yes, correct. Okay. Alec Sorry. Burks. Uh, correct. Emmanuel Quickly. Correct. Derek Rose. Correct. So uh, it's 10 out of 13. Is what, You've named right? 10 of the 13 so far. Yes. Okay. Austin Rivers. Ah, I didn't know if you're going to get that one. Yes, correct. Uh, you know, um, the other two, that's uh, where it gets a little trickier. Obi Toppin. Two more. Obi Toppin is one. 253 yeah. points, by the way. That's good. Yeah. I saved him for later. because like, mm-hmm. I feel like 100 is a very easy bar for him to clear, but wasn't now, sure. This is where the game gets fun. There's one left. And in a normal world, you'd only have, you'd have a miss and you're out. And your right. opponent would get to steal. So, so who <sighs> else? You have two tries, basically. And there's really only two options that make sense. So let's see if you can get it right without missing. Well, I feel like at this point it's process of elimination. Okay. Uh, it's not Dennis Smith Jr. No. Um, I'm trying to think if it was like a, it wasn't Iggy Brasdakis. No, that's for sure. <sighs> Two way contracts. Theo Pinson and Jared Harper definitely not. No. I mean, you know, you don't think Theo got like, in 100 points last year? <laughs> no, de- I didn't. I'm saying he definitely uh, did not. Definitely uh, didn't. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think if Frank got to 100. Because mm-hmm. go ahead, I feel or, like I feel like this is a trap. That's why it's, it's a trap. Yes. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's going to be Kevin Knox. It's Kevin Knox. Yes. Frank yes. had Frank had 89 points last season. Yeah. So you yeah, got Kevin all Knox of them. Was just too hot. Yes. For yes. A brief so moment. There was a brief <laughs> moment where we thought he figured it out. He actually shot 39% from three last year. So corner God. Yes. Uh, listen, Kevin Knox, there's a role on an NBA team that doesn't want to win for him out there. I hope he finds it. Um, so you went 13 for 13 on your first ever. I know the Knicks, they will be much harder in the future. Um, but I figured I'd give you an idea of how the game will work. And to back that up now, the other category post decision. So since LeBron took his talents to South Beach, uh, that is the range that you will need to know the Knicks. So Jeremy, uh, since July 9th, July 8th, 2010, I think is the decision. Um, can you name all the Knicks that have shot 40% from three in a season on at least 103 point attempts? Okay. At least 40%. Yes. How many players am I working with? So one second, one, two, three, four. Cause that's the thing. Some players did it in multiple seasons. So I'd have to, mm-hmm. I'd have to now. Here's the thing: like some Knicks might not have been there the entire time. It's that's why okay. the 100 attempts is important. So as a I, Nick, as a Nick, yes. Okay. Um. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's happened 21 times, and I believe there that's are so sad. 21 yeah, times in 11 in years. 11 years, yes. Um. I believe two. Three, four, five, only five repeats. So that's what, 16 players? I'll tell you as we, I think that's 16 players, but I'll tell you as we go. Basically, if All you right. get, I'll tell you if some person did it twice and you get credit for both. You have to go 21 for 21, though. Oh, good. I'm, yes. I'm glad I don't have to do that. Um, yes. RJ Barrett. Last year, shot 40% from three. Yep. I'm trying to think if Randall did it. I think. He did. Yes. 41% yep. from three. I'll just, I'll, I can't have you missed this early. So you get, you still get uh, a strike, by the way, if you want. One okay. mulligan, if you want. I want to say that uh, quickly did do it. He did not. Ah, damn. So that's, he, one I know strike. he was like, it was like what, 39% was, from the field and 38 from three or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it, like it was something close. I'll look it up, but he was very, by the way, I did round up. So basically, you had to okay. shoot 39.5%. To qualify and Emmanuel quickly right. this season shot thirty eight point nine percent from three. So interesting. Okay. Yes. There uh, were, I will Steve- add though, there were four Knicks that did this last season. Four Knicks. Okay. Um I mean Alec Burks was red hot. So I'm gonna say Alec Burks. Correct. Shot forty two percent to leave the team, to lead the team in three last yep. season. And then um I'll go Reggie. Reggie Bullock. Yes, 41%. Yeah. Um, another okay. candidate, uh, Derek Rose did shoot 40% on the Knicks last year. Um, he did not have enough attempts, though. And then Frank shot 48% from three last season, but again, did not have enough attempts. Yeah. Okay, then it gets harder because age and everything. Now you I'm go just back gonna... in time for this. Say the obvious ones. Steve Novak. I corrected it twice. Uh, 43% in 2013, 47% in 2012. I'm trying to think if Pablo did it. Is that your answer? Um, it's not based on your tone. Uh, is, is that your answer? <laughs> All right. I'll stay Pablo Prigioni. Did it twice. 2013, yes. 2013, he did it 
39.6%. And then in 2014, a whopping 46% from three. Pablo Prigioni, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. All right. So I have six out of 15. uh, Six, but technically eight of eight of 21 is what I'll do. Because the two guys you did did it twice. Okay. Who else? Um, Non this year, guys, I should say. Did it twice. Right. Man, I mean, I know JR took a lot of shots, a lot of threes. He was a six man, but mm-hmm. plus percent. That's a lot. Um, Say the obvious ones. Unless, that's you, a thought, thing. unless started, you thought he was an obvious one. I mean, the shot selection makes it feel like it's not mm-hmm. JR Smith. Um, it, the thing is, like that team, that 2012 2013 team shot the most threes in NBA history at the time. So yes. it couldn't have just been Novak and Prigioni making it. There were three people, excuse me, four people from that Knicks team. I'm going to, I'm going to, again, stress, say the obvious ones, because that one was difficult for me when I got there. Right. Okay. And that's even a hint for you that there were four guys on that team and it's not obvious. Part of me wants to say Jason Kidd was one of them. Is that an answer? Uh, fine. Yes. It's not. Jason Kidd did okay. not in 20. Let me double check though. Cause now that I'm he thinking. He was so hot in the beginning yeah. and then just, you know fell off a cliff uh, mm-hmm. but he took it see more maybe it's it's probably just that nets game that makes me think like oh yeah you know Better that one game <laughs> the the three-pointer that i appreciate sure missed the free throw after but it's close enough so maybe he did that more jason um, kid in 2012 13 shot 35 percent from three oh, on 325 on attempts um okay you lost, but let's see how I, yeah, far. You, let's see how far you can. Let's just keep playing a little bit until sure. you give up. Okay, so you got your, yes, Chris Copeland shot forty two percent on a hundred and forty attempts that year. All right, there's one more from that team. I can't say mellow. It just doesn't feel like it would. Be I might have did it in a different season though. That's true. But forty percent from three. The mellow slander. Can you please say mellow so I can tell you the times he did it? Mellow. Carmelo Anthony in 2014 <laughs> shot 40% from three. And then when he okay. came to the Knicks in 2011, in just half a season, um, shot 42% from three, which he meets the attempts. That's what That was the caveat I was giving you, that a guy might not have been on the Knicks for the entire season, but may have done it for the... Met, have met the threshold of 100 attempts. See, I thought he was going to be like hot, ridiculously high 30s, but not mm-hmm. quite in the 40 range. But well, so was. a shout out to Chris Herring, who was the one a couple of years ago that pointed this out to me and it stuck with me since he's only done it once in his career. And it's the 2014 season. Another reason why he was coming off one of his best career seasons and Knicks, Knicks fans wanted him to take a discount. So that way Phil Jackson could squander more cap space. Anyway, go ahead. See how many more you can get. Porzingis, Porzingis, Porzingis didn't, didn't shoot 40 did he it did once. it. Oh, okay. So 39.5%. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, I understand <laughs> the rounding, just but like, just okay, by it. those yeah. parameters, sure. Well, like, Prisciotti um, did it 39.6 as well. But if you're rounding up 39.5% for Porzingis in 2018, I would have, if that, if you had said that, I would have let it slide because he technically didn't reach the mathematical term of 40. But, right. yeah. Was there anyone from last year, not this past season, the season before? Yes. One. The COVID team. 
was it Wayne Ellington? No, no, no. Because Wayne Ellington, Wayne Ellington was so hot this year, this past year, but not the year before. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was one player who did it. Oh, it was Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris, forty-four yeah. percent from three that year. Blazing, yes. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, so there's two the two guys on here that did it twice. You've had you have one, two, three. You have eight more instances when it happened in this decade. Two more players did it twice. So I guess that's six more people that did it. I hate how much roster turnover there's been over the years because mm-hmm. there are so many names. <laughs> it's not like Clay did it seven years in a row. No, right? Yeah, you have to actually go think of. Wow, this guy was on the team then. Yeah, no, it's tougher. Um, did Courtney Lee do it? Yes, once forty-one percent okay. in twenty eighteen. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a hint on the year? So 2018, someone else did it once. So it was Porzingis, Courtney Lee, and one other person did it. 2018. Let's start there. And this person also did it in 2016. Someone who was on the team for multiple years. Mm -hmm. I was shocked when I saw this. And here's your other hint. I was shocked when I saw this, and it made more sense why John has been such a stand for this guy. John has been such a stand for this guy. Yeah, 2015, 16, and 2017, 18. This guy shot 40% on 109 and then 124 three-point attempts. On the Knicks? Yes. Oh, man. It just goes out the window. Thought-wise. Long Long Island, uh, not Long Island, New York's own. Like, grew up, he's a New York native from Brooklyn. I mean, it wasn't Taj, obviously. No, Duke University's own. Oh God! Yeah, that okay. That's what it was. Lance Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lance Thomas did it twice in 2016, 2015, 16, 2018, as I mentioned. You know what I think it is? I purposely blocked Lance Thomas out <laughs> that whole of my era. brain. <laughs> he seems like a great guy, but yeah. I just, yeah, not not one to remember. Listen, uh, okay, two forty percent from three seasons. I got one name that I think is a hail mary. Mm-hmm. Langston Galloway? No, but that's a worthy Hail Mary. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Courtney Lee did it twice. So there's only, okay. there's three more people left. One guy did it twice. One guy, the other two did it once. So the one that did it twice did it in back-to-back seasons in 2015 and 2016. So 14, 15, and 15, 16. I just, I keep trying to block out that, that era. Because <laughs> it's so bad. Era. I mean, it's just I so miserable right to watch. You. Yeah. Um, Point guard. Did Raymond Felton do it? I know no, that's not the issue. there. I, dude, but, okay. uh, once again, I was shocked when I saw this. Well, it's definitely not Derrick Rose who would not take no, the first goal. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if you're shocked, then if you were shocked, I'm not going to get it. Jose Calderon in 2014-15 oh, right. shot 42% from three on 142%. 140, oh, just reminded me that attempts, yes. You just reminded me about like the Dallenbear aid mm-hmm. era. And, oh, okay. Well, if that's the case, is Jason Smith one of them? No, but again, Damn. fair, fair, <laughs> fair guess at this point. And then 41% really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, in, uh, 2015, 16. So there's two left. One you're not going to get based off of uh, what you said. And then one, I'm surprised you didn't say it's from the 2013 season, the 54 win season. In terms of shooters. Well, that's the thing. I actually didn't think of him as a shooter, which made his appearance on this list a little surprising also. In the 2013 season. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't Landry Fields because he was no. already... Just missed, point, though. No, Just missed, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking the other year, Landry Fields, the year before. Yeah. 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 The Lynn Sanity year and what Yes. Okay. Um, 2013 year. I'm trying to think of all the guys who are on it. I mean, 
Definitely wasn't Rasheed Wallace. No. Wasn't Kurt Thomas. 127 attempts, too. So just over the right. threshold. Wasn't Tyson. No. Amare. No. Um, we talked about Mello. We talked about Prigioni. Novak. Copeland. Uh, it wasn't Raymond Felton. No. There's so one. That's like You've nine seen. of the guys already. Was it really J.R. Smith? No. Okay, Jarrett so, shot thirty six percent from three that year. Right. Okay. So you have not said Amon Shumpert's name yet. Because I thought that Shump was, I thought he maybe hit again like mid to late thirties, and then his knee mm-hmm. kind of was cooked, and then it took him time to get back. So I didn't know if that season that was the year with the hundred attempts or not. Mm-hmm. But um, only played forty five games, shot forty percent from three on one hundred and twenty seven attempts. Because as you mentioned messed up his knee in the playoffs the year before. Right. That's why he was in the, an afterthought. But okay. Yeah, okay. that's fair. Um, yeah. Last but not least, there's no way. Sean Williams in the 2011 season shot 40%. Yeah. I had to re- look his name up to remember who he was. Uh, shout out Sean Williams. You're invited on the Knicks Film School podcast anytime. Um, so that is I Know the Knicks. Um, I will... When John comes back, we'll have a brand new set of categories that they'll be able to choose through. Um, but yeah. Uh, valiant effort is what I'll say, Jeremy. You Thank know, you. this is like a part of an extension of producer's corner where I try to get you guys to name something trivial that proves your knowledge, which ironically, you've done nothing but prove your knowledge this off season. And now here I am trying to disprove it at the same time. Uh, and for what there- it's worth, you, you had mentioned for those who wouldn't know this, Andrew texted me like, okay, the thing we're doing today, it's a surprise. Yeah. So it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> no prep right. whatsoever. I'm, I'm game. Sure. And like, as you can tell, I clearly did not prep for this. So mm-hmm. yes, it's better this way. Yeah, it's your homework. It's it's better off. That's fine. Anyway, um, quiz. <laughs> anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, I mean this is uh, sorry the Yankees the lost. Time. By the way. Oh, thank you. I know yes. the streak. It ended. All good things must come to an end. Well, you, you know, know, it's uh, I'm gonna boo them now. No, <laughs> you're going to boo them now because they lost the game. I can't believe they didn't have a yeah. 14 game win streak. How dare and they? If, if they boo, that's the other funny thing is that the Yankees did, you know, I mean, the thumbs down, uh-huh. which like, but it was in jest because that was mm-hmm. back when they played a game, at, City, played Field a game and, at, uh, City Field. And then, right. What's it called? They had a fan that was boo. had a thumbs down. Was it booing? Just thumbs fan. down. Yeah. yeah. And then the Yankees turned it into a rallying cry. An inventive. What? Like, yeah. Here's the thing. I actually do agree with Baez's overall. For those who don't know, newest Met that's been here for a month came out after the Mets game today. And the Mets apparently have a new thing that anytime they do something positive, they turn to the dugout and give two thumbs down. And Javier Baez, when a reporter asked him, what is what does that mean? Thumbs down. And he says, it's in tribute to the fans that have been booing us for the last month when, you know, they turned a four game first first place lead into a seven game deficit in four weeks. I, I didn't know that was possible to do that in four weeks. And I watched them blow a seven game lead in two weeks in 2007. So basically saying like pinning themselves against the Mets fans saying like, how dare you boo us? which I actually agree with the sentiment. Like, we know we suck. What you're doing doesn't help. If he had said that, fine. But to basically be like, if you're going to boo us when we're bad, we're going to boo you when we're successful is just not the the plan when you should understand why you're paying customers are 
frustrated that what they're paying for is a below quality product. Like, doesn't doesn't booing go back to like enter like this is a form of entertainment way back in the day when you would pay for a show. If you didn't like the show, you voiced your complaint. This is our complaint. You know, I'm not someone that boos, but that's literally there as long as they're not disrespectful about it. I, I just anyway, Jeremy, I hate my baseball team. I'm wearing jet stuff. And that's that's where we are right now. I'm so upset with my baseball team that I'm now promoting my football team that waited until week 16 to win a football game last year. Anyway, you got anything yeah. that you can feel better? <laughs> make it make it better uh, to make you feel better. No, um, <laughs> no. The I Knicks mean, are good. <laughs> yeah, Nick seem to be in a good place. Uh, I know you care about me and I'm currently happy, so that should make you feel better. There you go. Your friend and co-host is feeling happier about all this stuff with uh, this is the Yankees side. But yeah, mm-hmm. what is it like five and 16, five and something over the last 23? What? Um, oh, the Mets? Seven and 16. Yeah. Seven, yes. 16 over the last 23. They've only um, beaten the Marlin, the, uh, only beaten the Nationals at home this month. Yeah. That's Tough it. stretch, though. Yes. The Giants and Dodgers. All play. one run games, too. What they're looking at is like moral victories. And meanwhile, I'm looking across town and moves made at the deadline helped. What do you know? What a concept. Uh, Jeremy, it was an honor and a, a privilege and a blast to co-host a show with you again. I hope John goes away once again next summer so we can do this. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I had a great episode, if you haven't heard it, with Keith Smith. For yeah, Spotify. it was. We've got, we've got uh, two really fun guests coming up for this week on Wednesday and Friday. I'm not going to say who they are, but... Um, it's, you know, really exciting stuff. And I encourage all of you to listen. I will second all of that. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. If you dig the show, head on over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. As Jeremy mentioned, we'll be back on Wednesday and then again on Friday with a brand new guest. Um, and then the one and only Mr. Macker will be back on Monday, the re- reunification of the Next Film School podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there. And we'll speak with you soon. Peace out. Stop on Audacity. Stop on Zoom. Wait, where's Zoom? Oh, you're up there. Okay. Recording has stopped.